We're going to have uh, Jeannie, you want to come on up? Jeannie and Dean are going to share with us for a moment. Wasn't that song just awesome? The cross of Christ, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his shed blood, I would not be here to tell you the most wonderful thing that's going to happen along my little pathway. (laughs) I just found out that I have cancer, and I have cancer in my head, I have cancer in my lung, I have cancer in my liver, and I have cancer in my, um, in my stomach. But you know what? God has given me the most wonderful peace, a peace that passes understanding. I thank you. Because I know that he, no matter the outcome, whether he heals me, he will be with me, whether he takes me home, He will be with me. The path that he chooses for me, he will be at the end of this path. And I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that I know that I know that he will take us through it. I don't know what is in store for us, but I so do appreciate your prayers. And I thank you for every one of you praying for us right up to this point. And please do continue praying because I do have trouble with my eyes and I have trouble with my balance. So if you see me wandering around like I've been drinking, I promise you I have not. (laughs) And Dean kind of guides me along. But just continue praying for me because we're going to see what, you know, where, where we're going over this road. So thank you very much for your prayers. And I just love every one of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now it's my turn. So, uh, as as Jeannie has shared, uh, the the great thing has been I got a phone call while we were in California, and uh, I called, uh, ran my way through the family, <laughs> talked to Vicky and. And got to Dean, finally got to, to Jeannie. And what a blessing that uh, the Spirit of God was upon her. Even then, she was sharing verses with me. And uh, uh, it's such a blessing. But at this time, um, here's how I roll with all of this. I'm going to pray for healing, and I'm not going to stop. And I'm okay with God doing whatever God does. But uh, he calls us to pray, and that's what we're going to do. So we're going to have Jeannie come down the stairs. We're going to anoint her with oil. If you'd like to lay hands on her, come on up and lay hands on her, and uh, the elders will come on up, and we'll pray for her. Come on down. You're in front, Fritz. You get the honor. Jeannie, we anoint you with oil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we come before you right now, Father, and we pray that you would just supernaturally touch Jeannie. Father, we're so thankful. The spirit of peace that you brought. And we're so thankful, God, that, that our every breath, our every moment, our every day is in your hands. We trust you. Father, we believe and we know, Lord God, that you are able. And so, God, we come before you seeking healing, Lord Jesus. Father, we come to you in faith. Uh, Not afraid, Lord Jesus, because Jeannie's not afraid. And, Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon her in such a way, Lord God. Father, that you would uh, guide and direct the doctors, Lord Jesus. And, Father, we pray that you would work your perfect work. Lord, we lift her to you and just ask, God, that you would bring... Uh, your perfect healing for indeed you are the Lord who heals 
So, Lord God, we ask for your touch and your blessing and your anointing now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we'll continue our journey through the epistle to the church at Corinth, part 2. And as, uh, as we look at the scriptures and as we just press in uh, to what the Lord has for us this morning, I am... Uh, I wanted to take a moment just to thank Fritz for covering for me while I was gone and, and Corey who shared. I'm so thankful that God's word teaches us that the spirit of God moves into every one of us. And I'm so thankful that men who are willing to uh, press in and rely on the Holy Spirit are able to teach and are able to guide and are able to shepherd. And I'm so thankful that the God who promised to give a peace that passes all understanding is still here, still working, still moving. And the morning after, God is still on the throne. And God desires to do a work. As I went to the pastor's conference, uh, uh, the first of the first uh, five days that I was gone, we were in Marietta for a pastor's conference. You know, we've been sharing about... The Spirit just laying on our hearts that God desires us to, to come together and just pray for that revival that's going to take place within us. Something that God's going to do in our hearts, in our lives, to renew us and revive us and enable us to really affect the world around us because we're allowing God to really affect us. And you know, that's exactly what the pastor's conference was all about. We had 900 pastors together for four days spending countless hours in prayer, just praying. God would pour out his spirit fresh and new. And the whole idea behind the conference was that we would not have any confidence in the flesh, but we would place all confidence in the spirit. And uh, as we finished that and we got the, the phone call with, with what's going on uh, with Jeannie and Reynolds' family, I was reminded, mankind does not have the ability to say one way or another whether we live or die. That is always and will always be in the hands of a God who loves us. And that brings peace. That this is part of a work that God is doing. And so as I was taking a look at at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll dive right in, but that's the point behind 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we wouldn't have confidence in the flesh, but that we would be men and women moved by the Spirit. And that we would decide ourselves, you and me, that we're going to take off this mask of self-sufficiency that says, hey, I'm okay, and everything's okay when I'm not okay, and everything's not okay. We take off that mask and realize that God doesn't require us to be self-sufficient. God requires us to be sufficient in Him. And that's what He wants to do in us. That's what He wants to do here at, at Calvary Chapel Buell. That's what He wants to do in our lives. He wants us to sit down and strip off the veil and come to the Lord with an open face. No mask. Just open before him. So as we take a look 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. So he says, now do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? He's saying, listen, do, do I have to show you all these articles that say that, that I am in some way empowered by God to do what I do? At the time, going around the church was a group known as the Judaizers. You'll hear that phrase often. A Judaizer, uh, in some cases, was a believer, in other cases, wasn't. And what a Judaizer was, was one who, who heard the truth of the Word of God and the gospel of grace, but returned again to the law, to the old covenant, to trying to make themselves self-sufficient by doing a sacrificial system. And that sacrificial system that they followed, well, who was it pointing to? Christ. Who the New Testament and the New Covenant declares was our final sacrifice, once for all. And if we'll come to Him, open face, no mask, no veil, this is who I am. That's how God wants to receive us. He knows who you are already. We don't have to hide for Him. We don't have to hide for each other. We just come to the Lord in that way. So Paul says, do I have to bring my, my letters, my degrees, my, my, all the things that I have? Is that how I have to prove myself to you? Or as he goes on, is it enough to see the Spirit moving in the lives of the believers? Is it enough to see the Spirit moving among us? For he says in verse 2, For you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Hey, it's, it's not about degrees, never was. Are degrees bad? No, they're not bad. It's not bad to learn, but that's not what it's about. Because degrees are what? A work of the flesh. Hey, I can, just because I have a doctorate doesn't mean that the Spirit is moving within me and I'm surrendered to the Lord God, does it? No, so it's not about the works of the flesh, but rather about work of the Spirit. What the Spirit wants to do. And what you and I have to do is be willing to come before the Spirit in submission and surrender. Because we say, we sing songs about the reality of Christ being in control of our lives. And then when Christ being in control of our lives brings something we don't understand, we have a tendency to recoil and back up and say, whoa, I was not okay with that. But it's the work of the Spirit. Let the Spirit have its perfect work. Because when the Spirit's working, we're going to experience a peace that passes understanding. God wants to do a work in us, through us, among us, and we are the proof, all the proof that we need. We are the proof that we need because God's moving in and among us. God is affecting lives here at Calvary Chapel Buell. God is changing lives. God is opening eyes and, and encouraging us to have a relationship with Him and to draw near unto Him. And all that is required is not some proof that somebody else says it's okay, but for us to enter into all that God has for us and experience what God wants to bring through our life. Because whatever it is, I can promise you two things. It'll be hard and it'll be good. Everything else, I don't know. But those two things are, I read through God's word. What does it tell me? Life is hard and God is good. That's what it says. As we go through, we want that work and we want to recognize that that work's going to be seen clearly in us. And the question is, the question is, if we want revival to change our world, the question is, how do people read you? Because you're the epistle. God's written on your life. Do people read self-sufficiency or sufficiency in Christ? That's what we need to portray. That's why the scripture says judgment or revival begins with us. Because we have to look inside of us and say, Lord, am I leaning into the flesh and trying to do a work that you want to do by the power and strength of my arm? Or am I pressing into your spirit and saying, Lord, do your work? Because God does incredible things 
when we submit to him. We want to be that epistle. We want to be written on. In verse 3, he says, Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, your heart. See, that's where God writes his story for you, for me. We, we read the scriptures because in them we find life, our faith grows, we come face to face with Jesus Christ and who he is, and that's vitally important. But every one of us has a God story. You know that, right? You know that people can argue doctrine with you all day long, but nobody can argue with your testimony. And as I was at the pastor's conference, they, they were kind of reminiscing. I, I, it was in, enjoy, enjoyable for me because all those things happened before I was aware. I was alive, but I wasn't aware. And they would talk about how, you know, they were excited about who Jesus Christ was. And they missed the fact that, that he wasn't with them. And they looked forward to the time when he would be. And that excitement drove them. It encouraged them. It ignited them to share with whoever they came across. And they'd drive by somebody and open up the door of that Volkswagen van and say, Hey, you want to go to church? Come and see. Come and see what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing. And at that time, towns, places were changed. Why? Because an epistle that was written on their hearts ignited them to burn with holy fire, like that burning bush that was not consumed, but was ignited by the fire of God. And they went forward, and they didn't know. They didn't have no degrees. It wasn't about how much I know or how much I don't know. They were just filled with the love of God, and they affected everyone around them. That's the Spirit of God moving supernaturally through us naturally. Not trying to work anything up, but just allowing God to do that work. And that work is written on the flesh of our heart. In our hearts. It's, it's a picture of what the, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said. In fact, if you want to turn with me, let's read it. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. As we look to see what Paul's referring to here as he speaks of this writing upon the hearts Upon the hearts of those who would trust him. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them from the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. He says, this new covenant is not like the old Well, the old covenant, he refers, he tells us what he's talking about when he took the children of Israel by the hand out of Egypt. Where did he take them? To Mount Sinai. What occurred? The giving of the law. What did the law declare? The law declared the requirement of God that we would be holy and righteous. It also declared something else. We can't do it on our own. So the Lord lays out, here's the old covenant, the purpose of the old covenant, Paul would say, the purpose was that we would realize, like a school teacher, that I need something else. I can't do this. What was the something else? The new covenant. Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he comes into our life. The spirit enters into us and empowers us to be his witnesses empowers us to be right with God. Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we fulfill the law. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. So he says, listen, it's not going to be like the old, but this is the covenant that I will make. Verse 33, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more will every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The new covenant. Finally, an opportunity where our sins could be forgiven and never trudged back up again. 
I mean, think about how it was in the, in the old, under the law. Under the law, if I sinned, I would bring a sacrifice to the Lord. I would offer that sacrifice, and it would cover my sin until what? Till the next time I sinned, which would be ten minutes after the, the sacrifice. It was endless. You were constantly seeing something innocent die for your sins. What was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was to open your eyes to see. The fulfillment of Genesis chapter 22, that God would become the Lamb and pay the price once and for all for our sin, for all who would put their faith and trust in Him, and they would be forgiven. Period. It is finished, Jesus would say. It is done, accomplished. And so, this is what Paul's referring to. Hey, we want to turn away from the old self-sufficiency. It's about me bringing sacrifices. It's about me keeping the law. It's about me being good and realizing self-sufficiency. I can't make it. All that teaches me is that I'm struggling and I can't do it. But hey, it feeds our flesh, doesn't it? It gratifies me if I can say, hey, I don't do those kind of things anymore. I don't... Smoke, I don't drink, and I don't date girls who do. So? What does that have to do with anything? But it gratifies our flesh, doesn't it? I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-sufficient. And folks, self-sufficiency keeps us out of surrendering to God. If you are sufficient in yourself, you are not surrendered to Him. If we think, hey, I've got a plan. I know how to get out of this. That's self-sufficiency. If we think, I know what to do. And sometimes, guys, God brings us to a point. He did for me. He brings us to a point where no one has any answers or any help. And at that moment, let me tell you, it's easy to find your sufficiency in Christ. We need to learn to do that. We need to say, It's not about the old. It's not about what I can do or how holy I can make myself. Because Isaiah tells us, my righteousness is what? As filthy rags. By the way, that's not very good. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I cannot attain to what God requires. Does that mean the requirement is bad? No, the law is perfect. The law is perfect. The Bible declares. There's nothing wrong with the law. What is there something wrong with? Me. Something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my heart. And God, praise the Lord, God does an incredible work in our hearts. For we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. When we put our faith and trust in Him, we start over. And the beauty is, the psalmist would declare, his mercies are new when? Every morning. Every morning. You see how we're free? Not under the bondage of the law. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be holy. It means that we need to realize we're holy because of Jesus Christ. And his work in me. And I need to surrender to that work. No longer does God write on the tablets of stone but on the flesh of our heart. Verse 4, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Now, we, we could just blast right through that, but that's a mouthful. You realize that words don't mean anything, right? The proof, as they say, is in the pudding. But it's only in the pudding if you eat it. Otherwise, it's just sitting there. And you don't have no idea what it's about, right? We need to realize, hey, here's what Paul's saying. So we have this trust that God knows what he's doing, that God has a plan, that God's working in our lives. We need to surrender to him and trust him. We have this trust through Christ toward God. That's where we need to be. We trust Him. No matter what. We don't trust anything else. Because anything else can fail. 
But God never fails. Ever. Oh, he don't always do what we want. But that's not the same as failing. Given to our own, we could be capable of failure. But in Christ, we can trust him. Look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. How do we get through every day? Through God. By his grace. By that gift that he bestows upon us. That our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. That's, that's where all the power to make another day comes from. If your sufficiency is in some kind of a, the, going the law against someone. Or if your sufficiency is going to be in this medication or that medication. If your sufficiency is in some other thing, it's misplaced. Our sufficiency is in God. We breathe in Him. We live in Him. And He never guaranteed us tomorrow. And we forget that sometimes. And we live out our lives like we have all the time in the world, don't we? I do it too. And then all of a sudden, God does something to wake us up. And we realize, oh yeah, every moment of every day is precious, isn't it? Every moment of every day is an opportunity to be a witness. And our ability to be a witness and have nothing to do with our flesh has everything to do with the Spirit of God which is poured out in every one of us. And every one of us is the power to be a witness, to experience peace, to see the power of God move in our life. But our sufficiency has to be in God. Well, does that mean we don't take medicine or we don't talk to lawyers or we don't? No, that's not what it's about. It's about making God primary, not secondary. It's not about first I try everything else I can try, and then I try God. Because now we're working in the flesh. What does it mean? It means I go to the Lord first. I go to Him first. And then He guides me. He'll lead me. He'll take me on the path that will bring honor and glory to Him. All we need to do is keep him primary. Our sufficiency is in God. Paul would write to us in in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe we'll be there next week. I don't know, but probably not. (laughs) Maybe we'll get through chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities... In reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, that's sufficiency in God. Hey, I take glory in my sickness and the trials and the hard things that come into my life because for Christ's sake, because Christ is evident in me. Evident. That first time I I spoke with Jeannie on the phone, the spirit was evident. I didn't have to wonder. He was right there. Well, he's right there for us. Every one of us in the same way. We just have to realize, hey, I need to get out, step out of self-sufficiency and into sufficiency with God. I need to take off my mask that says, I'm holy and righteous and I'm okay and don't anybody worry about me. I need to take that off and come to the Lord broken on my knees saying, Lord, here I am, a sinner. You remember those two fellows that went for prayer before Jesus? He said two guys were praying. One was a Pharisee. And he said, oh, I thank God that I'm not a woman or a dog or a Gentile or a sinner like that guy over there. 
But that guy over there, he just beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man left justified. He took off his mask. He stopped playing. He just said, Lord, this is me. This is who I am. It's okay. Because we're all messed up. Somehow. Some way. And that's how we need to come before the Lord. My sufficiency is in Him. And allow God to do that perfect work that He wants to do. In verse 6 He says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. What's the new covenant? Grace. And what does grace do? It changes everything. Changes everything. We are ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter. Of the letter is the law. But of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The Bible would tell us that the law is a mirror. It shows us what's wrong. Sometimes I don't spend enough time in front of a mirror. So I'm not aware of what's wrong. And you find yourself in embarrassing situations when you don't. Huh. And you're thankful for that friend who will be that mirror for you. And say, hey hey, brother, you need to go fix your face. We're thankful for that. But when we go stand before the mirror and it shows us what's wrong, we don't pull the mirror off the wall and rub it on our face and expect that it's going to make it right. Do we? Because the mirror doesn't fix anything. It just shows you. That's what the law does. It doesn't fix anything. Think about it. We studied it in Exodus. Moses on top of the mountain, face to face with God, receiving the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. And as he's on his way down the mountain, the people had already broken the law, didn't they? What did he do with those tablets? He broke them. And immediately became what? The intercessor for his people. Why? Because he knew the righteous requirement of the law. There's no bend. There's no give in the law. You must be righteous. You must be holy. No other way to stand before a holy and righteous God. And Moses immediately began to plead. Immediately began to go to the Lord. In fact, that's when Moses prayed the prayer. That says, Lord, if you won't forgive them, then blot my name out of your book of remembrance, out of the book of life. That's a heart of intercessory, isn't it? And so Moses went back up the mountain and received the law a second time. Only as he received the law the second time, it was all built around the tabernacle. God gave mercy, grace, And so the children of Israel had a way. But it wasn't a perfect way. Because it still led them in self-sufficiency. I can do these things, but I still fall short. Pointing to the perfect sacrifice. The law only kills. It condemns. The law does not have the power to save. But Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law. He kept the law. The only perfect, righteous, holy being ever. And then he died a sinner's death. Proclaimed by others the reason that he was crucified was because he was the Son of God. He paid the price. Being perfect, he died so we don't have to. The letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Now in the New Covenant, now as I look at the New Covenant and I, and I see the righteous requirement of God, it's perfect, it's holy, it's just, it is right, but I fall short, now the Lord gives me His Spirit. And by faith, I receive Jesus Christ into my life. And the moment Jesus comes into my life, I am a just man made perfect. That's what the scripture declares. Why? Because I'm good? No. Why? Because he is. And then he gives to me his spirit 
that enables me to be more than what I am. And the Spirit gives us the ability to succeed where the law only points out our failure. So Jesus would speak to us. Jesus would say to us, so you are ministers of the new covenant, the new hope, the new testament, that Jesus Christ paid the price for all our sins so that we could have a right relationship with Him. No longer under the Mosaic law, no longer under the condemnation that the law brings, but now under life by faith, through Christ. Look what the scripture declares. In verse 7 he says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Remember when Moses came down and the Lord ministered through grace and mercy, his face shone. And the people said, Moses, you got to do something about your face. It's too bright. It hurts my eyes. So Moses wore a veil. But Paul declares to us, the reason why Moses put on the veil was because the glory was fading. What did that mean? This is temporary. But the Spirit is permanent. The glory that Moses had upon his face faded away. Until what? Until he went back into the presence of God. He went back into the presence of God. The glory was back upon his face. It shone again. But he would wear that veil. Why? Because he didn't want the people to see that the glory was fading. It's a mask. The law sometimes leads us to put on a mask. That mask says, I'm okay. I'm good. But I'm not. My sufficiency needs to be in Him. It's temporary. It's not staying. It's passing away. But if that glory, if the law made Moses' face shine like that, what happens in the fullness of the Spirit? When the law entered into the children of Israel, what occurred that day? 3,000 souls died. 3,000 people died the day the law was given. What happened on the birthday of the church? When the Spirit of God was poured out upon His people, 3,000 souls were saved. You see the difference? One brought destruction, the other brings life. If the glory of one was so bright that people had to hide their eyes and Moses would put on a veil, how much more glory is there in the Spirit? The point is we need to stop putting on the mask and trying to pretend like the glory is on my face. And, and so let me hide that so you don't know that it's not really there. That We need to take away the mask. We need to take away all the junk that we try to portray to other people and come before the Lord broken because the Spirit of God is real and powerful and He equips us and He encourages us and He stirs us up to do great things. But nothing happens until we do that. Nothing happens until we come before the Lord in that way. Until we come before the Lord and receive the glory of the Spirit poured out in our lives. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more. What is permanent has much more. Much more glory. In a life that is submitted and committed to the Lord. Pressing into Him. When I was at the pastor's conference, Tom Stipe was sharing and he said something to me was super profound. He said, you know, the day after the resurrection, Jesus ascended and He went into heaven. Did the disciples miss Him? Don't you think they did? Oh, man. I miss Jesus. 
Do we feel that way? Do we feel that way? Oh, I miss him. Because sometimes we get to a point where we're just going through motions. We're just wearing a mask. And we stop missing Jesus. And we think it's all good. And Paul is calling for us to take the mask away. And to enter into a real living relationship with him. Experiencing all that God has for us as we just press into him, Lord, because this is permanent. That glory is permanent. What happened to the disciples? They spent time with Jesus, three years with Jesus, just focused on Jesus. And what happened? They became totally different people, didn't they? The Spirit came upon them, and the Scriptures tell us they turned their world upside right. Because it was already upside down. It's upside down again, folks. It's upside down again. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So that they could not see what was passing away. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, declares to us God's requirement. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with who? Most people, the people I like, the people I think I like, the people that uh, I value. You know, in the early days of the Jesus movement, Pastor Chuck Smith went to a group of people that nobody wanted to touch. And of that, by extending grace to those who were not worthy. Today, what started with five pastors grew to over 900. Not a work of the flesh, a work of the Spirit. Because they extended grace. Pursue peace with all people. Is there anyone who, is, who is, does not have value for which Jesus Christ died? Is there someone that Jesus died with that's just below that? You know, that person's just not worth sharing the gospel with. That person's not worth reaching out to. That person's not worth... But you see, we put on our mask, our mask of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, and we look around and everybody else kind of looks a little worse for wear. But we need to take it off. We need to realize that God's calling us to pursue peace with all people doesn't mean to say all people are okay. None of us are okay. But it does mean to extend peace and realize without holiness, no one comes before the Lord. Without holiness, no one will experience the presence of God. So as the Lord is calling us to that holiness, we need to realize. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, the scripture declares to us, one of, my, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, This is Paul's desire, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. How do we attain to the holiness that is required? By faith in God. Put our faith in in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Him and He makes us righteous. Not me. I want to extend grace. I want to, be, I want to have that same attitude that, that the entire movement that was Calvary Chapel at one time had. What was that? An excitement to share Jesus Christ with anyone who was willing to listen. It didn't matter what they looked like. To, to pursue peace and holiness. And the whole point was they realized the holiness was all about what? was all about Jesus Christ. Jesus in your life makes you holy. 
So Pastor Chuck was sharing at the pastor's conference. He said, you know, there came a time we put in new, new carpet in the church. We laid out this new carpet and the elders said, you know what? We need to put up a sign because there's too many people coming barefoot to church. So we want them to wear shoes. They're barefoot, they're going to make the carpet dirty. You know what Chuck said? You get in there and tear out the carpet. I don't, I don't care about the carpet. I'd rather have the bare feet. Is that our attitude? I don't care about all the preconceived ideals I have of religion. Because religion kills. The Spirit brings life. I want the holiness that comes from a relationship with Him. And I need to come to Him for for that relationship. Man, I, I need to experience the truth, the life that is in Christ. And realize, God wants to do a work in me. It's awful easy to see the work God needs to do in you. Huh. Sometimes. We forget. Wait a minute. The law was a flashlight? Oh no, it's a mirror. So who's the mirror for? Me. It's for me. So that I will take off my mask and come to Jesus who I am. Find my sufficiency all, totally, completely in Him. And realize the holiness that God gives comes from Him. The holy requirement of the law is fulfilled in Christ. That when I'm in Him, I am a just man made perfect. When you are in Christ, you are just men and women made perfect in Him. Not of your own. It is a gift of God. By faith in God. He does that work in every one of us. Every single one of us, the Lord does that work. Well, the scripture goes on to declare to us, but their minds, in verse 14, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Now, don't miss what he's saying. What's the veil? The veil, folks, is a mask that they wear, having their faith and trust in the Old Covenant, not realizing that the veil is taken away. The mask is pulled off in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I put on the mask of religion. I put on the mask of self-sufficiency. I put on the mask of self-righteousness. And I can't see until I allow that mask to be taken off in Christ. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not about me at all. The work of God keeps moving, doesn't it? There was probably a time in our hearts we felt like when the Lord was taking Pastor Brent home. Work of God, how can it go on? Brent's going to be gone. And the Lord took Brent, but the work kept going. Then Steve was here, and there was a time we thought, oh, the work of God, keep going. God's taking Steve and moving him someplace else. But the work of God keeps going. Why? Because the work of God doesn't have anything to do with me or you. It has everything to do with him. Everything to do with him. And he wants to do that work in us. He wants to ignite us. Little burning bushes running all over the place. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Little burning bushes just burning with the Shekinah glory of God. The Spirit of God burning in our lives. And everywhere we go, people are looking, wow, that dude's on fire. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, there's only one thing required. We'll take off the veil. And come to sufficiency in Christ. Scripture goes on to declare to us, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The mask comes off in Christ. The mask comes off in Christ. We got to stop putting it back on and keep our sufficiency in him. 
Oh, someone will see what I'm really like. So what? I got news for you. They're not going to be as shocked as you think. (laughs) But hey, listen, what, what does the world complain about, about the church? That the church is full of hypocrites. People aren't what? Real. And in God's word, God says, I want you to be real. It's not about you. It's about me. Trust me. Let me do work. That's the work that God wants to do in us, through us, for us. But even to this day, the veil lies on their heart. But it's taken away in the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom in Christ. Why? Because I'm not under condemnation anymore. There's, I realize in Christ Jesus there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. You don't think that's freeing? I don't have to be so uptight. Instead, what should I do? I should just press into the Lord. I just need more of Jesus. Why? Because the more of Jesus I have, the more like Jesus I become. That's the goal. But everybody's afraid that if we preach grace and people are just going to go live any way they want to. Well, not if they really understand grace. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? I want more of Jesus. That's where freedom is. I want more of him. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's peace that passes all understanding. Promise that God gave. Man, I can experience all that God has for me if I just press into Him and say, nothing else matters. I miss Jesus. I miss that fire that was burning. You remember that fire that burned when you first got saved? Didn't know what you were doing and you said all kind of dumb, weird things to people. But it didn't matter because the Spirit of God was moving through you. It's not about the letter. It's about the Spirit. Pressing into Him, allowing Him to work. But what happens? We start getting embarrassed and we start, we start getting self-conscious. And we put the fire out. Now we're self-sufficient. We need to be sufficient in Him. And let the fire burn. Our God is an all-consuming fire. If you're in His presence, you have to be on fire. The Scripture lays out for us, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. What did He say? He said, listen, I would rather you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You're playing somewhere in the middle. But listen, either you're with Him and you're on fire, or you're not where you ought to be. There's no middle ground. I love that God makes it that way. Because I can recognize when I'm in the middle ground. And say, this is not where I'm supposed to be. They call that no man's land. I want to be closer to him and on fire. I want to be closer to him and on fire. But the good news is, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us how that occurs. Look what happens. But we all... With, what's it say? Unveiled face. What did we do? We took off our mask, right? We took off our mask. We made a decision. It's not about me. Who cares how something affects me? When does that become part of the factor? How does this affect the Lord? But we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory listen to what he said but we with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror how do we behold what do we say was the mirror what the scripture declares to us the law of the lord is perfect it's a mirror to us we behold the word of god with unveiled face no mask and as we behold him as we behold who he is. Who is he? John 1.1 1, 1 said in the beginning was the word. What's this called? 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ. He dwelt among us. He revealed to us the righteous requirement of God. He fulfilled the law. He died. Substitutionary death for you and I. And by faith we are holy. By faith in Him. So what does He say? Take off your mask and behold as in a mirror the Lord. Look at Jesus Christ. Spend all your time gazing at Him and you will be like Him. Well, therein lies the crux. Behold Him. You become what you behold what are we beholding the bible says in psalm 23 that the lord is our shepherd capital l-o-r-d it means god his name the yahweh yahweh jehovah whatever the name is all we know are the consonants the God Almighty is our shepherd. And at the end of the 23rd Psalm, what does he say? Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When the Lord is my shepherd, goodness and mercy are in my wake. That means when I look behind me, there's not... Confusion, hatred, and all kind of weirdness. There's goodness and mercy. Why? Because I'm beholding Him. I become like Him. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Doesn't mean goodness and mercy will happen to me. It says goodness and mercy will follow me. Like a boat making a wake. Goodness and mercy behind us we become what we behold the psalmist declared like this you take a piece of wood out of the forest and you chop it up with some of it you put it in your stove and you bake bread with the rest of it you begin to carve it you put a face eyes it has but it cannot see a mouth it has but it cannot speak legs it has but it cannot move and you set it up on your mantle and you bow down before it and you pray to it and the lord says those who worship them become like them what are we beholding what we behold is what we become If we're beholding Jesus, we're going to be like him. How do we behold him? In his word. In his word. Man, we've got to be pouring the word of God in my life. Oh, I can't. I try to read the word of God, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Then take off your mask. Because the Bible says you don't understand it because you're wearing a veil. Take it off. How do I take it off? Well, the Bible declared you put all your faith and trust In Jesus. And the veil comes off. That means, by the way, all means all. That means no faith and trust in me. All faith and trust in him. The veil comes off. And we see in the word of God the face of Jesus on every page. Isn't that what Jesus declared? You study the scriptures, for in them you find life, but it is these that speak of me. Jesus Christ on every page. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God changes us from the inside out. That's what we've been talking about for the last month and a half. That is revival. Right there. Being transformed. Not conformed into the image of this world. That's some of our problem, right? I can be conformed into the image of this world just like anybody else. But we're to be transformed 
By the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 tells us. Let the mind of Christ be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who, being the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, no sufficiency in self. That's what Jesus did. He modeled it for us. No sufficiency. Where was his sufficiency? In the Father. What did he say? I only speak the words my Father gives me to say. I only do the works my Father gives me to do. Total sufficiency in the Spirit and in the Father. Pictured in Jesus Christ as an example to you and I. That we would choose to be of no reputation. It's not about me. Take off our mask. Behold Jesus Christ. Be transformed to be like Him by the work of the Spirit. Because it's not a work of the flesh. Doesn't matter how hard you try, you won't change anything until you surrender to Him. Take off the mask and let God do His perfect work. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to come and study your word, God. And we thank you for just the move of your spirit. Father God, that that you give to us uh, an example through Jesus Christ. That you teach us that if we will focus on him, that we'll become like him. Because we become like the gods we serve. Lord, I thank you that, Father, if we, if we make every day about you, it's, it's, I wake up to, to your glory. As I gave myself away, I ran my life for years, and I ran it into the ground, and I had zero fruit to show for that time. But when I allow you to move in me, when you are my purpose, when you are my reason, then all of that changes. And I set aside the self-sufficiency and my self-righteousness. I take the mask of my supposed holiness or righteousness off. And I just come before you. As Paul would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But you don't leave us this way. In that place you meet us. In that place, you wrap your loving arms around us. You, you breathe life into us. You whisper in our ears the things that you would have us do, the direction you would have us take. Oh, but Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we push ourselves away from your presence to go back to the mask. And it's only in taking that mask off that we're free. It's only in removing our self-sufficiency that we can find sufficiency in you. So Lord, help us remove our mask. Help us destroy it. That we'd never go back to that again. That we would come before you humbly. For if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Don't you hear the Father saying, if you take off your mask and come to me, that mask of self-sufficiency, that mask of self-righteousness, if you come to me like you are, that's not a hypocrite. That's being real. Father, may we come before you real. May we come before you and say, God, do this work in us. Break us, mold us, make us. May we put all our trust in you and whatever the road brings, whatever the enemy throws at us, it's meant to destroy us. But thank you that if our sufficiency is in you, 
you promise to turn it all to gold. And what the enemy means to destroy, God means for good. Do your work, Lord. We need to be in your image. Little burning bushes. Changing our world. But we are empowered by beholding your face. And we behold your face when we come to this place. We behold your face when we worship. We behold your face when we pray. We behold your face when we read your word. If I'm going to become like you, then that should mark who I am. Seeking you every moment, every day. God, be glorified in we, your people, as we come before you as we are. We receive your grace and mercy. May we burn in the power of your spirit as we draw near into your presence. And may you be glorified in us as we give you praise. For you are the greatest father of all time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.